And once again, we welcome you back to Moving Forward with Young Voices here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. I am now joined by Connor Tomlinson, who is the policy director for the British Conservation Alliance and also a Young Voices contributor. And uh, Connor, I can see, because we're, we're using uh, technology here to connect up, you got some bright sunshine. That's, that's kind of unusual for, for your neck of the woods. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, Brian. It's, it's rather refreshing. As you can see, it's winding down into the evening, so it's giving me that... Uh glorious glow that you're so privy to seeing with the camera on. I know you and I could probably have a very interesting conversation on what's going on right now um, in the UK and it also in Europe in terms of lockdowns. We're going to talk about something, though, that I know is on a lot of people's minds, and that is China. And and there's been some interesting, I mean, the meeting in Alaska here within just the last few days uh, between the, the Biden administration and Chinese officials sounded like a lot of saber rattling. Um, talk to me about uh, Efforts to impose sanctions on China over human rights violations. Um, where do you begin unwrapping a, a, a subject like that? Well, uh, I suppose we can take a foray into you linking it to the lockdowns, because funnily enough, it seems that the recent administrations, we in the UK of the Conservative Party, in name only, and uh, <laughs> President Biden now, have an affinity for, if not Chinese policy, at least Chinese money. And with the lockdowns in the UK, it's very interesting. Our chief, not scientific advisor, but the guy that we based a, a lot of our COVID policy on, Dr. Neil Ferguson, who then immediately broke it to go and have an extramarital affair, typical. Uh, he came out in an interview a little while ago and said, actually, we wanted to do lockdowns. I proposed lockdowns, but it was only because China did them. We know that China is an authoritarian communist regime uh, that we knew we could get away with it. So that's the kind of attitude that's being taken in the UK and the US at the moment. It's not so much that they have moral objections to China. It's more so that they see where China is effective and profitable. They're happy to, to use it and pay lip service to liberty, but not actually put it into policy. I I appreciate your candor on this, and, and I happen to agree. I think that uh, China's not the only nation that's struggling with human rights issues right now. Now, when we think of China's human rights issues, what are the things uh, front and, and center? Um, the treatment of the Uyghurs has got to be one of them. Are, are there others? That's that's the primary one that's taken spotlight recently, especially since that's had a lot of legislative power behind it. So the Danish and the Canadian parliaments have decided to also designate a genocide, as did former President Trump. Though interesting, the Prime Minister Trudeau decided to, well, him and his cabinet decided to be notably absent on that and haven't come out quite as strongly about it. So there's there's an appetite in in as well as with the Conservative Party. In the UK, there's an appetite along, uh, among a lot of the MPs and the lower rung government officials, but the higher ups like Boris, Biden, etc., are happy to play cultural relativism or say things like, we have a unique concern concerning the treatment of the Uyghurs. But when it comes to legislative practice, the UK, for example, this week they did their military review, which is part of what was in my article. And in it, they downplayed a lot of the threat of China and upplayed that of Russia. Now, we shouldn't underestimate Russia, don't get me wrong. But when you're saying that China has prolific human rights abuses and then turn around and say we want to pursue positive trade relations and work with them on climate change etc well appeasement strategy didn't work out all that well in the 40s i don't think it's going to work out brilliantly now so what what is the uh, extent of the sanctions I, i'm curious what are they trying to do to put that pressure on china what do these sanctions involve well, in the UK, the Conservative Party, some of the ministers proposed, uh, the guy who proposed it slips my mind and I feel very bad about that, but he proposed um, 
essentially a, a provision which would allow the UK Supreme Court to review any of the outstanding genocide claims from a country that the UK is trying to forge a trade deal with. So it would act as a stopgap to prevent the UK doing unethical trade with nations that have human rights abuses long running. And the Conservative backbenchers, lots of them backed it. And then the provision was narrowly lost in a parliamentary vote because the front bench is saying, no, nah, squash it. Simply, we want to... Uh, pursue more positive trade relations than China here on out, consequences be damned. And so, again, with Boris's recent speech, with the sort of mealy-mouthed wording on, oh, we have a concern around the Uyghurs, but we also think that China's a profitable nation, we want to pursue uh, trade negotiations. It seems like the sanctions are being squashed uh, and and taking subordinate priority to short-term profit. Does that speak to China's growing strength, both economically, geopolitically, militarily? Um, it seems this is not the same China that I, I know I grew up with thinking, oh, yeah, everybody rides bicycles. And, you know, I, it, it was it was not as advanced as it is today. Right now, it sounds like China is an economic powerhouse and may very well be poised to be the economic superpower, you know, globally. Yeah, I know, I know there's a sort of doomsday clock somewhere online. I forget the exact link to it, but it's counting down the years to which China is estimated to take over from the US and being the world's leading economy. And as of last year, because I think something disturbing like 66% of all dollars ever in circulation were printed because of that hyperinflation, that clock has had about 10 years knocked off within a single year, oh, which wow. is a pretty... T- yeah, I can see your eyes raising on the, on the camera right now for anyone else who can't <laughs> see, but I had that exact same reaction. My heart stopped for a second. And as well, China, they're incredibly pervasive, not just in their economic policy and their, their theft of IPs and things like that, but as we've seen in, in things like the US uh, House Security Council, with Rep. Eric Squalwell, or plenty of the US and UK's academics, they have their tendrils in all areas of society. There was a recent video from a Chinese academic called Di Dongchang, which has since been removed after the media picked up on it. But he has got up on stage in front of a bunch of university students and said, um, now our old friends in Washington are back and we can give them two stacks again. China has regained its political and economic prowess on the world stage. President Trump was a problem for us, but now uh, the, the global engine keeps ticking on the way which is beneficial to china so in in a lot of ways i don't wish to to sound incredibly nihilistic here or anything (laughs) but um, china at least sees the global takeover as an inevitability talk to me about uh, taiwan and and maybe even hong kong in terms of of how they play into china's influence on the world stage because i know that uh, particularly with taiwan uh, the u.s has has sounded like it's very supportive and hey we're here to defend taiwan if china does any kind of aggression i know hong kong's been going through a lot of protests or at least they were up until uh, coronavirus um, do, do either of these places factor into uh, china's growing influence or uh, does it frustrate some of their ambitions Absolutely. Well, Taiwan, it's quite interesting because uh, for I don't wish to let him get away with it because I, Biden frustrates me to no end. But uh, it's interesting that he was the first president to have the Taiwanese ambassador show up to his inauguration. And mm-hmm. then immediately in the CNN town hall, he then attributes the one China policy with he names Taiwan uh, and Hong Kong's assimilation into the into the Chinese monolith and the the treatment of the Uyghurs, he said, to being that of cultural differences. So again, you've got this this paradox there. As with Hong Kong, um, I'm I'm a little bit more versed on the exact going on goings on of Hong Kong than I am on the political situation of Taiwan. Maybe because it's taken prescience in recent years, but the security policy has been completely 
that's completely subsumed uh, Hong Kong's democratic processes. Lots of people have been imprisoned, completely silenced. There was a there was a stunning documentary produced by a YouTuber a little while ago where he went around and interviewed quite a lot of the Hong Kong uh, higher ups. And one of the guys he interviewed, he came out recently and said, "Hey, that guy's been locked up as well. I can't get in contact with him." Um, and I believe he was one of the guys that wrote the the treaties on on Hong Kong's liberty after separating with the UK. Fortunately, the UK is doing something. Uh, that's that's not an award-winning statement, but we've, I believe we've had 300,000 applications from Hong Kong citizens to uh, get temporary stay visas under the asylum provision. I don't know how many of those have been accepted yet. The number has been touted. I know that the applications are before they overseas, that they come over, which is, is probably the best way to do it. But at the same time, um, that's almost a rectification of, of Britain's long-standing negligence for handing it over back over to China in the first place. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, that's that's a great way of, of safeguarding uh, a minority of Hong Kong citizens. It's, it's an absolute necessity, a temporary stay, of course, but that also means that there needs to be legislative action to ensure that Hong Kongers can return to their home, that beautiful place, free from Chinese persecution sometime in the future. Okay. Connor, we're down to about 30 seconds here. Where can our listeners find your work? Where can they follow you? Where can they connect with you? Uh, I have a portal on the Young Voices website. I'm also the policy director for the British Conservation Alliance. So we usually just chew the ear off of any of the MPs or House of Lords people that will listen to try and get more market environmentalist policies. And you can usually see me tweeting about politics and mainly comics uh, on at Mass Affected. So if anyone's dumb enough to listen to my opinions. Okay. Hey, I'm I'm enjoying it. So uh, <laughs> Connor Tomlinson, well, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on Moving Forward with Young Voices. I hope we get to talk again soon. Wonderful. Thank you, Brian.